Amen, amen. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27 um, as we were journeying there last week and, and we had come to the cross and Christ um, concludes the verse there in verse 50 as Matthew writes. It says that Jesus cries out again with a loud voice and he yields up, he gives up his spirit to God the Father. And then Matthew makes this statement, I want to draw your attention to it. Um, verse 51, he says, and behold. This and behold is often used by Matthew to introduce something new, but it's not only something new. I want to, I want to hope, maybe show you a little bit of what Matthew does to help you understand what's taking place here. Watch what happens. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. At the moment Jesus is baptized, it says he immediately goes up from the water. Look what the text says. And behold, the heavens are open. The Spirit of God descends like a dove. And then the Father will speak and say, this is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. And behold, notice that. Immediately, at the end of the baptism, as he comes out of the water, something happens. Further, in Matthew chapter 26 is where Jesus is arrested there in the Garden of Gethsemane as Judas leads um, the troops to come. And he remember, how did Judas betray the Son of Man? Do you remember what he did? With a kiss. I'll never forget being here, and maybe some of you remember Brother Mark Lowe, when he used to make the statement, how close can a man or woman come to Christ and still go to hell? And he said, well, Judas Iscariot kissed him on the cheek. It's a terrifying moment to think about that we might be here and be that close and hear these many things and yet not truly know Him. So it is in Matthew 26 as Judas and the others come and verse 50 says that He led them there and they seized Jesus. And look what Matthew says, verse 51, And behold, we know the text records that Peter draws out his sword and strikes one of the servants of the high priest, Malchus, and slops off his ear right there in that moment. In all three occasions, the and behold, and behold, signify not only something new, but something that's happening in response to what just took place. So it is when we come here to Matthew 27, something new is happening, but it's also in response to what's taking place. And that response is to the death of the Son of God. And what's amazing about it is, is who acts in this moment. Matthew calls forth that expert witness to the stand, and that person is God the Father. And God the Father begins to do, and behold, He begins to do some amazing things in response to what has just happened on the cross. And so it becomes for us a death-defying moment. And we have to maybe answer this question today that I hope and pray that you will leave convinced of from the Scriptures. What did the death and resurrection of Jesus accomplish? Right? We celebrate this day, we get excited about it, but if we were asking like, truthfully, like, what's actually happening here? What's the significance? Why does it even matter? Let's answer today in this death-defying moment, what did the death and resurrection of Jesus accomplish? And to do that, let's look to the testimony of God the Father. Pick up if you would, begin there in Matthew chapter 27. It says, verse 50, remember the text that Jesus yields up his spirit in verse 51, and behold, and watch what begins to happen. This is the first sign. This is the first testimony from God the Father in response to the death of his son. It says the curtain that of the temple is torn in two, right? From top, it says, to bottom. The temple curtain was 72 twisted plates of 24 threads each. It's 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, a span of a man's hand thick. This is a massive curtain, and the text wants you and I to see, because it's torn from top to bottom, and, and the language is being used here indicates a passive tense, that nobody's doing this other than God the Father. 
God the Father is taking the curtain and he's ripping it and tearing it. The amazing thing is when this happens, remember, look back at me if you would, I don't have it on the screen, but verse 45, it says, from now the sixth hour there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. That's about noon to three, all right? So if you think about our time frame, we, we estimate that Jesus was on the cross roughly from about 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. What's interesting and significant about 3 p.m. is it comes to twilight. That's when on the Passover they would have been bringing the lambs into the temple and making the sacrifices. At that exact moment, Jesus, when he dies upon the cross, God the Father rips the curtain, separating the, the people who would come in and worship from the Holy of Holies. Back where it's thinking about the Ark of the Covenant, where God's very presence was. No one can enter there except the high priest and only once a year on the Day of Atonement, the Day of Yom Kippur. And yet in this moment, this curtain, because of Jesus' death, Matthew says, the curtain is ripped. And this very access into God is now ripped open before all the people. God's doing something amazing. He's whispering and inviting us to come in. You wonder, well, what's happening here? The writer of Hebrews tells us, listen to this text, Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence... To enter, where are we entering? He says, the holy places. And you would say, how in the world could anybody do that? Only the high priest could do that only once a year. There's, look what he says. Well, he says it's actually by what? The blood of Jesus. Jesus' death is accomplishing something. Look what he says further, verse 20 of Hebrews 10. He says, it is by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain. All right, so the curtain's back. What, maybe we have a new curtain, right? Maybe like they put another one up after that one tore. Look what he says, though. He says, you want to know what the new curtain is? It's actually Jesus' what? Flesh. He's saying, listen, guys, if you want access to God the Father, now here's the way you enter. It's through the Son. The Son of God has come. He's given His life for you that you could now come into the very presence of God. So look what he says, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Wow, how could we ever do this? Look what he says. Because our hearts have been cleaned from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Man, he has opened it up for us. He has made us clean. John MacArthur commenting on this text says, And here the whole thing was exposed. Speaking of again, when the, the curtain was torn. To everybody, three in the afternoon on Passover, the temple would have been jammed with people. And in one moment, no more priesthood. No more temple. No more sacrifices. No more barrier between God and man. Salvation completed. Symbols done. Reality is present. The old covenant is over. The temple has no place and soon was trampled by the Gentiles. It is a great and unbelievable moment that God is allowing not only the Jewish people, but even Gentiles to come to him because Jesus has made a way for you, for me. It's the hope of the gospel. It's the long-awaited promise back to Abraham. And he said, and of your descendants, this should be like the sand of the sea or, or like the stars of the sky. And he says, in, in and through you, all the nations will be blessed. And that ultimate blessing comes to us through the Son of God. It's all of us are welcome to come to God the Father, but only through the Son. So the first sign from the cross and God's testimony is the tearing of the curtain. Watch what happens secondly. Further in verse 51 of Matthew 27, it says, And the earth shook, and the rocks split. Earth-shaking moments, rock splitting. These are moments um, of God moving and acting. 
If you think back with me in 1 Kings 19, after Elijah just had this unbelievable moment right there on Mount Carmel and seeing God answer with fire on the sacrifice. Remember Elijah found out soon that he was wanted for dead and he takes off running the desert and, and God shows up and it says that God shows up and the earth begins to shake and the rocks are splitting and all these amazing things, but God ultimately speaks to him through the whisper. But God often acts. But what, what we're going to see today in the midst of this text is that this earth-shaking, rock-splitting moment is a reminder of the judgment of God. You can write down passages like Isaiah chapter 13 and others, but I want to draw your attention to a judgment that is yet to come. It's in Revelation chapter 6. Listen to this text. It says when, beginning in verse 12, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was, look what he says here, a great what? A great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. Look back in Matthew chapter 27 there, verse 45. We have darkness over the land for three hours. The full moon became like blood, right? The blood moon. You've probably heard about that here in recent talk. Lots of that was conjured up recently. Calling to the mountains and rocks. So again, we have the issue of rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. Look what he says. And from the wrath of the Lamb. For the day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? The text is telling us from Revelation 6 that the earthquake, rock shaking, sun being blacked out, all of these are signs of judgment. And so we have it here at the cross. Darkness over the land for three hours, earth shaking, rocks splitting. Why? Because judgment has come. And here's the amazing thing. The judgment that has come is actually on an innocent man, the God-man. The paradox of this moment, of this judgment that God is rendering, is on one that is actually what you read earlier, 1 Corinthians 15 and 20. God made Him who knew no what? Sin. To be sin for us, that in Him you might become the righteousness of God. You see, if you've ever, ever wondered, did God really judge sin? Will God ever really judge sin? Did God... And did he really take care of my sin? Matthew is saying, listen, guys, this is a judgment passage. There's darkness. There's earth shaking, rock splitting, all of the Old Testament imagery. What's to come in the Revelation? It's all pointing to the fact that judgment actually happened there. That in that moment, your sin, if you will repent and believe, confessing Christ as your Lord and Savior, that your sin can be atoned for, white clean taken away. The judgment passage is happening there. But not only that, look with me, Wood. I want to draw your attention here again. Back to verse 16 of, of Revelation 6. Sorry. Look what they call out to. They call to the mountains and the rocks. They say, fall on us. Why? Because they want to be hidden from ultimately the wrath of the Lamb, from God's judgment. The reminder is, no matter how permanent you may think things are, how unshakable that you think things are, I want you to know that any other trust or any other faith in anyone other than Jesus is sinking sand. That no matter what rocks you may be trying to hide behind today, no matter what facade you may be trying to put up, I want you to know that nothing will save you from the judgment of God other than the blood of Jesus. And is this the cross here? The darkness has happened. Father forsaking His Son. Earth shaking, rocks splitting, temple curtain tearing. The Father's saying to us, guys, look. 
Behold, the Son of God is on the cross for you. Don't miss this. I mean, God's taking the earth and shaking it, saying, don't miss this. This is your opportunity of freedom, of hope, of peace, of reconciliation with me. Fourthly, back in Matthew chapter 27, verse 52, it says the tombs also were opened. Now, it's quite possible that the, the earthquake has served to bring about the, temp, uh, the tombs being open. In Matthew chapter 28, as Brother Todd was reading there, there's a great earthquake on Sunday morning. This is Friday afternoon, but there's another earthquake coming on Sunday morning. It says as the angel of the Lord descends and he rolls back the, the rock, and so the earthquake is there in conjunction or, or connected to the fact of these tombs being open. But notice what he says. It's, it's amazing, right, that all these things are happening and you may be thinking, well, Blake, these are just by chance, right? I mean, maybe you think, well, the darkness being over the land is just an eclipse. What the challenge is there is that Passover, which they're celebrating there, is on a full moon. Eclipse is only going to happen with new moons. Maybe you're thinking, well, the earthquake is, all right, I mean, they, they live on some fault lines. There's other earthquakes. That doesn't really explain anything, right? Rock splitting, that would just be the result of an earthquake. And tombs being opened even, right? I mean, the earthquake could actually do that. This doesn't really explain or prove anything. And so what happens next? I mean, all of these things are God doing. If you see the imagery throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, you see this is God acting. But maybe you're just saying, I'm a little skeptical. I want you to see that what's coming next, no man, no happen chance could actually bring this about. Look what it says. Verse 52 of Matthew 27. This is our fifth sign. Look what he says. And many bodies of the who? The saints who had fallen asleep. What's it mean that they've fallen asleep? They died, right? I mean, he just took us yesterday in church and woke up when it was over, right? It says these brothers and sisters, they have fallen asleep. They have died. And look what it says about them. What happened to them? They were raised. Have you wondered here maybe, like, why is Matthew saying saints and why are they being raised? Because saints, he's talking about are Old Testament believers. And I think what, again, Matthew is driving us back to is maybe you've often wondered, like, well, how are people in the Old Testament before Jesus came? How are they saved, right? If Jesus is the only one that can save us and we can never be saved by good works, then it sure appears like throughout the Old Testament, these people were trying to be good enough to be saved. And yet Matthew kind of stops for a moment and says, guys, listen, if you've ever wondered how those Old Testament believers were saved, they are saved the exact same way that you are by the death of Jesus Christ. Right. I mean, Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 10, it says that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away what? Sin. Right. It would never, ever take it away. Those sacrifices, they were doing that in obedience, but it could never, ever. Hebrews says, cleanse our conscience. But this death, this man upon the cross, the God man, once and for all satisfied God's judgment of sin. And these Old Testament believers are raised up immediately there following soon after Jesus' death and resurrection, which maybe brings us to an issue or some challenges, right? There's lots of questions about this text, and I, I want to raise just three of them for time's sake today. And here are, the, here are three of the challenges. Question number one, were these people raised after, immediately upon Jesus' death, or were they not raised until after Jesus' resurrection, right? It's kind of an important question and a challenging one. I'll be really straightforward with you. Scholars and theologians are divided on when this happened, right? So I don't hear to say today I've got it figured out. But again, I'm going to share with you what I believe and, and, and why I come to that conclusion. 
I'm going to be encouraging you to see that maybe, most likely, it happens after Jesus' resurrection, right? Um, maybe two specific reasons. One is context. Let's, let's look at it again. Verse 52. Again, we're asking some important questions of the text, right? Some challenging moments here. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And look what the text notes, though. It says, they come out of the tombs after what? After his resurrection. Speaking of Christ. And they went in the holy city and appeared to many. So from context, I believe it's likely that maybe the tombs cracked open on Friday after Jesus was crucified. But on Sunday, after he was raised, they too were raised to life. That it took place after his resurrection. The reason maybe for that is maybe just a practical matter. Right? If they are raised Friday, right after his death, then do they just hang out in the tombs for three days? Right? Why, why did they wait three days? No, God could have done that, absolutely. But again, I think it drives us to maybe the conclusion from the context that they are not raised until Sunday morning. Not only from context, I want to show you just a couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised. Right? So we're talking about Christ's resurrection. He says it's from the dead. Look what it calls him right here. Christ is the what? First fruits, right? We have many of you that are, are agriculturally minded or you understand agriculture or you work in that setting. You understand what a first fruit is, right? A first fruit is a promise for what? What else is to come, right? The harvest is following. And so this is, listen, guys, because Jesus is the first fruit. He's the first one that has raised all of those who have fallen asleep, right? Again, use that imagery of death. That have fallen asleep by putting their faith and trust in him. Those who have believed and trusted in Jesus, they too will be raised just as he will. But he's the first fruit. First, or Colossians 1 and 18 says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. So again, Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. So I believe it's most likely that again, these guys are raised Sunday morning after Jesus' resurrection. But that brings us maybe back to another question. Why does Matthew even put it here then? Right? Like if, if they aren't raised until Sunday morning, then why not wait until Matthew 28 when he talks about resurrection and put it there? I think, again, what Matthew is trying to do is to help us recognize how significant the death of Jesus Christ truly is. That it has truly bought your pardon. That if you've ever wondered, like, I mean, it sounds great, Blake, that I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to live forever. But like. Dude, you don't know like what kind of cat I am on the inside. Like you don't understand. And Matthew is pushing back against us saying, but you don't understand the greatness of his death. You don't understand that he paid your sacrifice, your payment in full. You must hear his words from the cross. It is what? Finished. I think Matthew is calling us guys to say, don't miss how great the death and ultimately, the resurrection of Jesus is. Look what 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen says, though. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still what? You're still in your sins. Right? So if Christ hasn't been raised, then you and I are still in our sins. But listen to what the writer of Hebrews tells us, and then Paul later after that. Hebrews 2 and 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. What's he saying? 
that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary and came and lived on this earth. That's what he's saying. He said he had to become a man like us, that he could be tempted like us and not given a temptation so that when he goes to the cross, he can actually be your substitute. That you have someone that's subbed in the game for you, so to speak, who never made a mistake, who never sinned, who never failed God even once, and God is satisfied to look on him as your perfect substitute. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I mean, that's, that's, look what he says, though. Watch what happens here. Verse 14 again of Hebrews 2. That through death, through death, Jesus, right, he might, what? He might destroy, who's he going to destroy? He says, well, the one who has the power of the death, that is the devil. So in Jesus' death, he is destroying the evil one. He is destroying and breaking the curse, right? The curse of sin is death. He, he's overcome the curse that is against you and I. Listen, because he has paid your sin debt, death no longer has the end gain. Do you see it? That in Jesus Christ you have hope to live forever. And look what else further. Look what Paul says again about Jesus' death. Again, we're asking the question, why didn't Matthew write about the resurrection here in the midst of Matthew 27 and not wait till chapter 28? And again, I'm putting before you the reason is, is because he wants us to see how significant the death of Christ is and what it accomplished. Look what he says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning verse 9. He says, our Lord Jesus Christ, again, who died for us. Why? Why did Jesus die? Look what he says. He tells you. So that. You see it? Right? He's, he's helping you understand. So that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are alive or dead, we might what? Live with him. He says, man, that death on the cross has purchased your eternal life. Brothers and sisters, I set before you today the only hope of your salvation and eternity. None other than the Son of God is on the cross. To look to not only His death, but also unto His resurrection. And so that's where, again, this text is continually pushing us, driving us to. Watch what happens here. Maybe we might ask a third question. In times there, some will be very brief. But the third question from the text might come this. Did they have glorified bodies or were they raised like Lazarus, right? If you know Lazarus, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he died again. The question is, these people that were raised, right, did they die again? Or did they have the resurrected body like Jesus? And I'll be really straightforward with you. I don't know. I don't. Again, I'd probably lean to the fact that if they're raised on, on Sunday after his resurrection, they've received their resurrected bodies as a reminder to you and I of what is to come. Like a saying, like a reminder saying, hey, listen, if these people were raised, it's a promise that you too, if you will put your faith, you saints will be raised. But look what, again, Matthew does here. I think it's, it's a pretty awesome moment. He says, and many bodies of the saints who have fallen asleep were raised. Do you know that you're not going to exist somewhere in the clouds forever? As some disembodied like spirit just floating around playing kumbaya or Something on the harmonica or I don't know what I don't know what you're dreaming of or thinking of. Do you know that Jesus Christ's death, burial and glorious resurrection ensures the fact that you, according to Paul, will be raised to live a new life with a real body on a new resurrected earth? No more. According to Revelation 21, death. You will never die again. Hallelujah. Come on now. Some of you got some dead loved ones in Christ. Hallelujah. They'll never die again. There'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more tears. 
Why? He says, for the old order of things. I'm getting Revelation 21 is where I am. For the old order of things has passed away, and he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I make all things new. And the question moment might be is, in case you miss it, I love what he says. And the Spirit, he said, write this down, these words down. The Spirit says to John as he's writing there in Revelation 21. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Write these words down, for they are faithful and true. Guys, can you imagine that you're going to be raised never to be sick again? Never to die? Never to sin? Never to have brokenness in your relationships? All because of Jesus? Man, we ought to be saying all hail the power of Jesus' name, right? Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal royal diadem. Get that crown of thorns off and put my crown. Lord, I lay it before you because he is Lord of all. These are amazing, awesome moments. Again, time's sake, we've got to press forward. But the seventh and final thing I want you to see happens here. It takes place in verse 54. It says, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, right? I think that the statement, what took place, is interesting. The New King James renders things that had happened. Um, the NIV says all that had happened. So you're, you're imagining like, so this, this guy that's guarding Jesus has, right, experienced the earthquake, rock splitting. But it's also the things that had taken place, all the things that had happened. So think back with me just for you would for just a moment. What all might this guy have seen or become aware about, right? We're not sure exactly how much in the story he is, right? We know he's there at the cross, but maybe it's possible that he's there at the trial and hearing these false witnesses accuse Jesus, and yet he remains silent. Right? Like, how perplexing is that? Like, dude, defend yourself. Maybe he was there when he was charged and hearing this Jesus testifying to be the Son of God. At least he knows the charge against him, right? Maybe that he was there most likely and maybe participating in the scourging and beating of Jesus. He would have been there to hear him being mocked and laughed at upon the cross. He would have been there to hear this man upon the cross cry out to his father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what what they are doing. He would have been there to see this man look at two criminals, both who are are mocking him and saying things. But at one point, the one on the right has a change of heart. Something transforms him. And he says simply in verse 42 of Luke 23, Master, remember me when you come into your what? Your kingdom. They would have heard the words of verse, verse 43 of Luke 23 when Jesus looked to this man and said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me what? In paradise. He would have seen the earthquake and the rocks splitting. He would have seen the way that this man died. The offer of forgiveness to the people who were challenging him. The offer of grace and mercy to a criminal on his right. And look what happens here again. Watch what happens in in verse 54 of Matthew 27. They were filled with awe and said, truly this was who? The Son of God. And if you were with us last week, we spent the vast majority of our time dealing with Matthew's eight examples of the Son of God. And I will tell you that this is the eighth and final one. And what's amazing about this, again, time's sake, I'm not going to go back through several things, but I want to draw your attention to this. I think it's amazing that we come to the eighth and final time that Jesus is called the Son of God. And who it comes from. It comes from a Roman, a Gentile. It comes from 
an outcast. It comes from someone who had been a part of having this man driven to the cross, of having this man spit and mocked upon this crown of thorns. And here in this moment, we have this man, this outcast, testify and claim, truly this was the Son of God. I don't know if you realize it or not, but your sin and my sin is what brought Christ to the cross to satisfy God's judgment of our sin. And yet this man here, and maybe you feel that way today, you've done too many things wrong, you've been an outcast, you've been away from church for too long, or whatever the list and reason is. I wonder, based upon what you've seen and what you've heard today from this text, do you believe that Jesus truly is the Son of God? That He's the only one that could save an outcast like me and an outcast like you? It's amazing, right? We might ask the question, Brother Corey, as you come, where does all of this lead? Think about the things that have just happened. Noon darkness. Father forsaking. Spirit surrendering. Curtain tearing. Earth shaking. Rocks splitting. Tombs opening. Christ raising. Dead raising. People seeing, outcasts testifying, Son of God moment. And maybe it leads you to the place that it brought me this week. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of hearing loss. The Father turns His face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life, and I know that it is finished. I will not boast. In anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I got no answer for that, you guys. But this I know with all my heart. The Son of God's wounds, they played Blake Jesse's ransom. Have they paid yours? What's your response today to the Son of God? There's no other offer of salvation, no other offer of forgiveness, peace, access to God. The curtain is torn, brothers and sisters, that you might come in by repentance, acknowledging your way of life is wrong and God's way is right. Confessing today that you desire Jesus' forgiveness and that His sacrifice would be your only payment. Today, would you come Confessing Him as your only Lord and Savior. The Son of God. On the cross. Yes. But that Son of God was buried and also raised. And ascended back to the Father. And one day He will return, brothers and sisters. And He will judge the living and the dead. Know that there is no escape. Only to come under His blood and His sacrifice. Today, would you come receiving pardon and forgiveness of your sins by confessing Him as your Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me? Father, may Your Spirit do the work. 
Thank you, God, that you've given us your blessed word. Thank you, Father, for your testimony there upon the death of your son. Father, I pray today that you would not allow us to miss this moment. To recognize as that centurion, truly you are the son of God. Father, I pray that there might be a profession of faith from hearts that are being redeemed and transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, today, would your people hear and obey and follow you? Thank you, Christ. We love you and we praise you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We invite you to stand and sing with us this morning. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the Take the Lord's Supper. Does anybody have a word of praise, testimony for the risen King? Amen. Tony's testifying the power of I can only imagine just of God using that movie. Amen. Encourages us to see it. Amen. Others this morning.
Lord of praise. And just testifying, um, it's been several years since her grandfather died, and it's his birthday today, and um, he died with Alzheimer's dementia, not knowing anybody anymore. And uh, just praising the Lord that for those that die in Christ, they won't wake up confused anymore. Hallelujah. Your mamas will know you, your daddies, your grandparents, brothers and sisters, children. For those that are in Christ, brothers and sisters, it only gets better. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sister. Who else this morning? Amen, brother. Amen. Caveman. Guys that work in your life, bro. Amen. Amen. Cave was just, I don't know if you could hear him sharing about Billy Graham and um, I can't say it nearly as eloquently as, as he did, so I'm not going to try. But just a reminder, he said that one day you're going to hear that Billy Graham is dead. He said, but don't believe it a bit. He's more alive now than he's ever been. He's just changed his dress. Amen, brother. Tommy B. Amen. 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 We're glad you're here, bro. Amen. It's good to be among God's people. Amen. The writer of Hebrews tells us, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. He says, let's don't I do that. We can't live this lone ranger Christian life. We need one another. We need the community of believers. We need the word of God. We need to worship together, to cry together, to pray together, to hold one another accountable. We need the church. So I want to encourage you with that today. Thank you, Tommy B. Good word, my brother. Anyone else? Yeah, man. Man, brother. Thank you, man. I think it's pretty amazing that uh, one of the toughest guys I know, right? If you don't believe it, he often tells me he's going to punch me in the throat, which terrifies me. Um, but a sergeant major in the Marine Corps would testify today in church that he needed to be humbled. Some of you think you're too tough, too good, whatever, to be humbled. There's a man of God that's willing to testify. He's a pretty tough guy. The need to humble himself before this king. 
Amen, brother. We're glad that you're here, man. We missed you. Miss Rhonda's glad she's here. She's smiling. She's smiling. She's glad Daddy's home. So, amen. Glad you're here, brother. Stay the course, man. Stay the course. Others this morning. Anybody else? Blake, I just want to share that, you know, whenever we're saying see you later to Mm. a Christian, that while we're watching them leave, I always think there's a big group that's gathered over on the other Mm. side, just like we're here waiting for them. They're waiting over there to have a big celebration. Amen. So there's a multitude that is celebrating at the same time that we are letting go. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for the for for the gathering of saints and what's going to come, the reunion for those that are believers in Christ. This is not the end. Christ is again, guys, the greatest news you're ever going to hear. Amen. Anybody else? I know Brother Todd's going to come and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Anyone else? All right, if you would, take a seat. We're going to, Brother Todd, if you'd come. As we we begin this portion of the service today, I want you to know that if you are a Christian and you have been baptized, you are more than welcome to participate in the Lord's Supper with us. You do not have to be a member of Greensburg Baptist Church.